0: Teach me to walk in the light of his love. Teach me to pray to my Father above. Teach me to know all the things.
1: Why don't we Why don't we turn to Claudia Bushman's interview, Taryn? Do you mind uh, giving some first thoughts and reactions to it?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. That was so. That was all from one one interview, then uh, one big, like,
1: yeah. Let's start. Her, let's or, start with Melissa's interview of Claudia.
2: Oh yeah, of course, Melissa. Sorry about that, Melissa's interview. That I thought was uh, really interesting. I have heard a lot about Claudia Bushman over the past few years. I have a lot of friends who live in the Boston area who are. Really, who've been really strongly influenced by her, frankly, who consider her almost a you know, like mother in Zion type. She's she's given them, she's given them social resources and perspective to deal with, to deal with inequalities they perceive in the church, um, or to deal with personal issues, or to just to grow up. You know, a lot of college students go out there, and because of what I've heard about her and one my friends have always talked about her, I have to say I was a little bit shocked uh, when I first heard that interview <laughs> because it wasn't what I expected at all. I, I think that uh, Adi Bushman came off as a very engaging woman, a very engaging person, and she was interesting, but I, I expected someone, this was you know, essentially the person who founded Exponent 2, who um, has influenced generations of Mormon women, who's influenced their their academic choices, their intellectual development, their feminist leanings, and she was so unassuming. <laughs> I was just stunned. <laughs> she, she was this lionized figure in my head. Turns out she's a real person with a straightforward personality. Blew me away. I, I have to say, I was a little bit put off by a few of the things she said, though. In that first episode, there was a discussion at one point of the different ways that women of different ages are, are not given enough resources or enough programming, that kind of thing in the church. And while I do agree that there's plenty of room for us to, to do more things in the church, there's plenty of room for women to take more callings, to take over more of the work that doesn't need to be explicitly ordained priesthood work, you know, uh, ward clerk, look, that kind of thing. I was a little bit surprised at the suggestion she made that we could consider separating the Relief Society by age so that you have younger women, the women who still have children, and older women, uh, retirees, women who kind of moved on to that next phase of life. I was surprised partly because my husband complains all the time about how much he wishes that the elders' quorum and the high priest group uh, were combined because he thinks that they lose a lot they lose a lot in separating out the, the younger men they they haven't got the resources that they need in order to learn about the gospel, learn about the you know what they should be doing as priesthood holders and really to have interesting conversations on Sunday. And uh, I, I have to say I felt a little bit hurt <laughs> because I am. I'm a thirty year old woman and I go to church and I sit in I sit in relief society and I, I have to say I'm part of the group she described as sitting there trying not to say anything offensive to the group that she perceived as younger and therefore more orthodox and so on and so forth. If we were to split by ages and she were right about the breakdown of ideological, you know, of ideological positioning and um and general perspective on the gospel, that kind of thing, I'd really be miserable and really i <laughs> the idea. If she's right, I would be a lone voice of, you know, of whatever I'm a voice of, of, of weirdo, leftist, um, you know, young Mormon womanhood. A- and I was a little hurt to think that she would want me to be in the other room and not with her. <laughs> right. I-, I was a little surprised at her willingness to talk about stuff you know, about these ideas of separation in this church that's based on unity and communion with each other. So, on the other hand, um, I, I've loved, I just loved her, her second two episodes, like the social history that she talked about, the the excerpts that she read from, from primary source documents were wonderful. And I was really, really moved by uh, by the way she was so unassuming and so... Really quiet about her own life, but so entranced with the with the voices of Mormon women in the past. You know, she gave that she gave that advice about people you know people going out and collecting their own history, writing down their own history, collecting their mother's history and their grandmother's history because these voices shouldn't be lost. And I thought it was really interesting how she she played down her own voice. You know, it, it was really modest, I guess.
1: Right. Although she is doing her own history. She is taking her own advice in terms of writing.
2: Of course she is. I, you know, that was the part that I, I think I kind of loved about it. <laughs> I mean, she I, it's Claudia Bushman. <laughs> right. know, there's some hero worship here maybe, but, you know, it's Claudia Bushman. That was what was kind of interesting about it was she was so unassuming, but at the same time, I mean, she's doing this stuff. You know, she's, she is taking her own advice. She's an example. She's, she's someone we
3: can model
1: ourselves on. And it was, it was just interesting, you know? Well, that's, um. I, I yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Rosalind, what'd you think?
3: You know, I really shared, um, Taryn's assessment. I, I enjoyed it uh, very much. I enjoyed listening to her wonderful voice, uh, with the same sorts of inflections that my grandmother has. Um, I loved the warmth of her voice. And I loved, uh, I love the depth of her experience. And like Taryn, I, I, would be sad to see Relief really society separated into ages and thought it was a, an interesting and kind of bold suggestion however and think uh, floating bold ideas uh, is, is is good every once in a while um, but, but I would be sad to see it happen for many of the reasons that Taryn describes. Um, I, I was interested sort of in her kind of overall method. We've been talking a lot about ways that we approach history and the uses that we make of history and I was trying to figure out you know, she is a, um, an eminent historian, um, has lots of experience in the archives, and um, has done a lot to disseminate and popularize Mormon women's history. So I was trying to um, figure out her philosophy of history as I was listening to her speak. And, you know, she mentioned several times that what she, you know, obviously she's very focused on text. She likes having the text in hand. And as a um, you know, As a textual historian myself, I, um, I understand the appeal and the mystique of having those wonderful documents from the past there. And she said that she liked um, to read the words of um, ordinary women. You know, she kind of resisted a little bit your invitation to do a sort of journalistic um, heroic women approach to women's history, right? Where we, we talk about the 10 greatest Mormon women. She said, no, no, let's not do that. Let's instead, let's look at and read in their own words um, the experiences of of uh, sort of everyday Mormon women from history. Um, and I enjoyed very much um, those glimpses into the past. Um, I'm I'm sort of um, inclined to um, like her approach and, and support her approach to history. And what, what was um, mystifying me just a little bit was how she was getting from the texts themselves, the stories themselves, to her kind of progressive um, political positions. And I, I was listening to try and figure out how is she using these vignettes um, and I never did quite figure out, was she using, was she trying to glean some sort of lesson, some sort of kernel of, of, of practical or principled knowledge um, from these stories? Was she um, just sort of um, offering them as kind of motivation and inspiration for us um, then um, you know, relying on modern women to come up with their own kernels of practical and principled wisdom? Um, or, or, you know, how was she using these little bits of history? Um, I, I, I never did quite... Figure out how she was getting from the one to the other, um, and I, I would love to hear more uh, more from her and see whether you know she sees her activism and her histor- historical work as connected in some way. I'm sure she does, but how precisely she sees them connected, and how it is that she uses history in her particular way of, of reading it um, to to inform her. Um, very interesting, sometimes provocative, um, but always compassionate. Um, sort of religious and, and political views.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, those are two... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how to respond to either of your uh, reactions. Was, was there anything in the... <laughs> I, in the I have, oh, go ahead, please.
2: I was just going to say, in response to what Rosalind was saying, I actually got the impression that she doesn't necessarily base her activism on... You know, one of the questions you asked was... was, mm-hmm. was you saw how she was treating these these stories, and you saw and you saw what her political views were, that kind of thing. But you didn't really see yeah. where she was, you know, where the impetus in the historical stuff was. I don't yeah. think it was there. I think that what was going on, this was my impression, was that she um, she has these views, she has these ideas about women and about women in Mormonism, and they aren't. They're caused by the, the things that she's read as a as a historian. They aren't um, they aren't necessarily they aren't necessarily stemming out of that so much as they, they're the reason that she does the work. You know, it, it's because she values women in themselves and she sees them as important that she wants to go and she she wants to read these stories and she wants to see what their lives and their experiences were like. I will say, I think it did serve one other purpose in the interview, uh, which was, if you remember, there was that bit where she talked about that woman's accounts of life in Nauvoo, the social life of Nauvoo, and she started talking afterward about the ways that she would like to see our, you know, modern Mormon social world enriched, and I think that what she was doing there was actually using the differences that she saw between today's culture and the time that she was... Reading to us, you know, about as as a way to start just getting things flexible, talking about how things had been different and could be different, and maybe they wouldn't be different the way they had been in Nauvoo in the you know in the eighteen forties. That was a very specific kind of time and place, but we could do things. You know, that there are these endless possibilities, and that's what I really got from that conversation.
1: What did you guys think of? You know? What did you guys think of her? Uh her critique of of social life or of the church experience today versus 50 years ago or 150 years ago, did that, I'll ask Rosalind first and then Taryn, did that resonate with you? Did you feel like she was too harsh? Did you feel like she was spot on about how the block has been a failure and about uh, how it just seems so lifeless socially and about her grandchildren uh, not feeling like they've ever had a positive day in church ever? Uh, You know, What do you think, Rosalind, about that? Did that Resonate, or was that disharmonious with you?
3: Well, you know, questions like this are are difficult to answer, and um, because they really are going to have so much to do with context and with individual temperament. I, I will say, in my particular ward, um, it, it's not the case at all. We we have a thriving um, social life. I, I, in fact, almost almost too much so. You know, I. The, Truly, it's a rare day when I don't have somebody else's children at my house or my children are at their house or we're doing something and and uh so so it, you know it, it, in my in my particular environment that that hasn't been a problem however, you know as i said um i i i, I can't from that extrapolate out and say so that yeah, right, therefore punishment sure. is is wrong um, no, no no I'm just saying your experience she you know you, it it came through um in in the um podcasts. Sort of her, her personality, which is just wonderfully vibrant. You can tell she is a woman of limitless, boundless energy who loves projects. I think she used to call herself a project person at one point. Um, you know that that's a sort of a temperamental thing, and, and that's going to um, you know that's going to color her assessment of how things have have gone right and gone wrong. Somebody like me, uh, sadly, <laughs> not a person of boundless energy. Um, you know, is probably going to have a slightly different take. Um, so so it's difficult. It's always difficult. And all, these are often conversations that can be contentious and um, sort of unsatisfying because um, so much of whether or not something has worked out it has to do with local local sure, context sure. and individual temperaments. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm just asking your experience. What about her saying that she finds uh, Sunday School or Relief Society sort of lacking in terms of it being stimulating? Do, do you... Do you also no. have a, have, so? Uh, let me let Rosalind finish it off, and then I'm going to have Taryn respond to both yeah, those I've questions in her experience. No, it's good. So, Rosalind, do you, are you are did you share any first sentiments in that regard?
3: Uh, I certainly have sat through my share of <laughs> of dry and dull um, relief society and and Sunday school lessons. Um, Perhaps there could be more done to improve sort of, you know, sort of pedagogy. I think there have been some efforts made there. Um, again, you know, m- my my mother, Christy Franson, lives in Southern California, teaches um, a really thriving and incredibly popular scripture study class. She's a very charismatic speaker and, and a charismatic woman. I think she's been a wonderful example to um, women inspiring them to, you know, get on board with the scriptures. So I think, you know, again, it's going to depend... Where you go and how things work, um, perhaps there are some things that could be done on a structural level, but since we are a lay um, ministry and you know anybody can get called to be a teacher, I think there's always going to be some unevenness in the in the quality of the teaching um, that's part of, of what it means to to be a Mormon um, I sympathize I, I empathize indeed um, with her frustration um, and would love to see the quality of Teaching rise. It's not um a crusade for me, however. Um and uh, I, I would I, I think there are lots of gifted teachers out there um who if they're motivated and have the energy, as my mother has, um, can can get something really great going.
1: Sure. sure. All right, Taryn, on uh on church culture and on the church experience.
2: Okay, well uh, I thought a lot of her observations about church, you know, modern church culture and experience, things that we've lost, things that we could gain, were spot on. I, I do have to note before I talk... I'm sorry, cause is there...
1: Oh, I'm sorry, go okay, ahead. I an
2: echo, I'm sorry. Okay. I do have to note before I go on and talk about what I agreed with, that I think that celebrating Smithness on December 23rd is a really bad idea. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've actually suggested before in current... That we should de emphasize secular Christmas celebrations and replace not with religious celebrations, but with celebrations of Joseph Smith's birthday. I think that's just a really, really bad idea. Um, there's enough confusion in our church already about what we value most, what which religious is the most important for so, us. Uh, on the other hand, I, I really agreed with a lot of the things she said about. The current structure of Sunday School Relief Society, um, you know, I'm in a ward right now where Relief Society is wonderful. It's, it's interesting. Dry topics are, are well presented and well discussed. We had a genuinely interesting lesson on the importance of visiting teaching today. I have to say I probably sat through 10 lessons on the importance of visiting teaching since I was 18 years old. This was the first one that I enjoyed. Hmm. <laughs> I think that it's true that when we have you know a, a lay church with lay teachers there are some limitations uh, on what we can do in our classrooms but the simple truth is that we are not we're not at the point where we need to start worrying about those limitations yet we have poor manuals <laughs> um we have we have I think in an effort to try to make sure that that people in different cultures can really understand the church manuals and really have a shared experience you know, across nations, across continents, across cultures. We've we've essentially taken everything interesting out of our manuals, and one of the things that means is that no one gets engaged during our Sunday school lessons. Many people don't get engaged during our Relief Society and Priesthood conversations either. People just sit. They're, they're, there's... Nothing stimulating going on, and for that reason, I think that the three-hour block has kind of gone off the deep end. I think that um, I think that she's right that we could do something to vary it. I personally think that it's a great shame that we can't find some way to restructure things so that we don't have all those all those meetings on Sunday at the same time. Um, it, it's just because I've been in some wards where Sunday school works brilliantly and Relief Society works brilliantly, and I've been in more wards where they're all a miserable experience. Uh, there have been wards in South America where I was just grateful that my Spanish wasn't very good because when I could understand <laughs> what was going on, it was so deathly boring. <laughs> but then, you know, there have been some really wonderful experiences too. Uh, Rosalind's right, though. It's situational, and we need to try to come up with some kind of system to account for that, to make it easier for people with limited teaching experience to to obtain... Good materials to start interesting discussions, I think it would be less stressful for the people involved in teaching as well if we did that
1: okay good well thank thanks to both of you for uh for your reactions about that um real quick what what did you guys think about uh claudia's discussion of uh how she started exponent two and then was was told you know in no uncertain terms by by leadership that she needed to stop that she was willing to stop and that she was glad she stopped uh, because it allowed her uh, to still continue to have an influence in the church. Uh, you, Taryn, you first, and then Rosalind.
2: Uh, okay, this is, this is a really difficult issue for me. I, I was listening to this, and I have to say there's something deeply upsetting at kind of a visceral level about the idea that the person who really founded Exponent 2 in, you know, in large part started the ongoing modern feminist movement in the Roman Church, you know, the the movement that's really survived, uh, left it because a man asked her to. And, you know, and and that's, I mean, that's a simple, it's a simple strange thing to me, not least because I've actually heard this story before, and I've always heard it told that it wasn't a formal request. It wasn't actually someone saying, you know, the Church is asking you to stop this. It was, you know, it'd probably be a good idea if you left this alone. I've always found that personally upsetting just because, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a really good way to silence yourself. You want to talk about, about women about women in the church, about women in our culture, what they want, what they need, who they are. Someone tells you, oh, you shouldn't do that. You just stop. On the other hand, I do understand a point, I mean, not wanting to lose influence. But my, my question is, how much influence has she really had? I mean, there's the casual influence that she's had on women inside the church women that she's dealt with, the so women who've gone through her, her seminar, that kind of thing. But I think that uh, I, I've never really seen any evidence that she's had any of the institutional influence that she may have been helping to maintain. So that's, that's, a, really, that's a, really, um, it's a really good question that we can ask, ask ourselves when we think about this, not least because it's my understanding that no one has ever been disciplined for being involved in exponent 2. And in fact it's treated not with not really with interest by the church but certainly without concern right <laughs> so i'm not really sure that there was any reason for her to leave it um,
1: interesting that,
3: that's I, I have to say that
1: Rosalind
2: yeah.
3: I thought it was a, a very interesting uh, story uh, wrenching as as Taryn said um it really gets to the heart of and is em- emblematic of um the difficulty that Mormon feminists uh, face, which is how uh, to deal with the idea of authority. What does it mean to live in an authoritarian church? In some ways, and you know, what what are um, what are the borders of institutional jurisdiction and personal judgment? Um, is is there a role for conscience? All, all these questions are are central. There, I certainly. Um, Feel, uh, offer my sympathy to Claudia. I don't know whether or not she made the right choice. I wouldn't begin to know how to, um, to to judge that. Um, but I, I I can also tell you know that it's become an important. Um, Touchstone for herself. You know, looking back at our own lives, we we tell ourselves stories. We use our own personal histories um, to make sense of what we're going through um, in the present and in the future. And and it seems to me that you know this has become one of those personal touchstones for her. And and for her, it has come to um, define something about herself and about where her loyalties lie and about, you know, what what it means to be a part of, of an institution and an organization. Um, and I think that in that way, it's a wonderful example of the kind of personal history that she was encouraging um, all, all of us women to do, you know, to, to make of our own histories um, <clears throat> types and and meanings to guide us forward. Now, in order for that to happen, we need to have uh, the facts down first, you know. So, as I was saying at the beginning, I, I think it's helpful to get the facts down first um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and from there go on to make meaning of it. Um, but I, I, fr- from that perspective, I, I thought it was a wonderful um, example, enactment of what, of what she's suggesting, and also emblematic of the whole um, very difficult, very naughty um, thicket of, 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 um, issues that, um, that surround feminists, uh, working in the church.
1: Yeah. Well, did either of you have a, a, a favorite story that Claudia told, uh, in her second and third interview? I'm just curious. Um, uh, so Rosalind, you first and then Taryn.
3: Um, sure. I'm looking at my notes here. Um, I, well, I, 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 oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry <laughs> about that. There's this pop-up ad, and if I accidentally click on it, then it does no, that.
1: No problem. Hopefully, you can
3: edit that out. <laughs> um, you know, in in episode four, she read um, a wonderful letter that Emma Smith had written at the end of her life, and um, and it was notable for several reasons. Uh, one of which. Um, was especially interesting to me. Emma Emma mentions the curse of Eve, um, which is an idea that has basically uh, evaporated from our public discourse about who Eve is. We use her for entirely the opposite sort of rhetorical and ideological purpose now. And I thought it was so interesting to catch that glimpse of a time when Eve meant something very different. Eve didn't represent women's kind of moral authority and moral superiority, um, which itself plays into one um, sort of justification for a male priesthood. Um, instead, she was precisely the opposite. She was cursed, um, and and for that reason, she was, you know, denied uh, leadership status. So um, I've had sort of ongoing conversations with various people about whether or not this ever was um part of our our theology, I have argued that the curse of Eve was understood um to be the sort of default reading of of the Adam and Eve story, so I felt that I had a moment of justification there which i <laughs> which I enjoyed and I also was in episode five um just really kind of struck by the um, letter I, and i 'm going to embarrass myself here. I believe it was written by Elizabeth Kane, who was not a member but was. Um, a, a friend and an observer of the Mormons describing polygamy, um, and kind of the, the the repulsion that she felt in observing, you know, um, uh, older men, um, you know, uh, marrying younger women. Um, this is a, a, a scenario that um, is in my own family history, and I have to say I, I experienced the very same repulsion that uh, Elizabeth Kane. Um, experienced um, and it's it's a very, very difficult continues to be an extremely vexed and difficult question in our history um, and that was one moment that vividly um, commanded my ascent right there as Sure, you might say.
1: sure Yeah, that was an emotional part for me as well. Taryn, what do you think? Any well, favorite or two the, for you?
2: The story that, hmm? Oh, go ahead Okay, The story that I was really taken by Actually, what I was really interested in was, uh, like Rosalind, uh, the the Emma, the Emma segment, the bit about the blessing that Joseph had to write for herself. Uh, first of all, because that was just really interesting, you know. As as I think Claudia pointed out, it was it was fascinating that Joseph had Emma write her own blessing, and it was tragic that when he told her that he would come home and sign it, he never came home. Yeah. Uh, that was, it was very affecting. But the thing that I thought was really interesting about it, actually, was the spin that Claudia put on the, on the blessing, which was she talked about how, despite the fact, that, as was exemplified by the entire story, you know, oh, I don't have time to come home and give you a blessing. Give it yourself, and, and, I'll, and I'll write my name on it. Uh, Emma was not well-treated by Joseph. If she wasn't well-treated by the church's early history, she, she really suffered a lot you know, at the hands of her husband at some basic level. Despite that, the blessing was all about how she, she wanted God to make her worthy to stay at Joseph's right hand throughout eternity and always to be with him. And she said that um, she said that it was really interesting, impressive, I think is, is really how she termed it, that Emma loved him that much. And then she went, which I thought was you know really exactly what I, what I was thinking, but then she went on and said that she thought that that was an issue that any of Joseph Smith's detractors would have to deal with. Um, She seemed to think of it as an apologetic apologetic thing, something that was really handy for people who were trying to defend the veracity of Joseph Smith's revelations and prophethood, which I thought was interesting because, you know, there have been plenty of people in the history of the world who were deeply loved but who were just foul people. And I don't think Joseph Smith was foul. I think he was a prophet. I think he was a great guy. I think he was a lot of fun. I think he had some personal problems, but... Um, but that's not really any of my business, right? But I don't think that we can say that Emma's deep love for her husband proves that he was a prophet or that he was on the right track. I, I think we need to be very careful when we talk about uh, stories from our history not to use these kinds of things to justify our current beliefs because uh, because the thing that we need to justify our current beliefs with is our faith anything else is liable to be obviously um obviously off track to other people and therefore ineffective if that makes sense.
1: Building your foundation on sand.
2: Yeah, Maybe. you know yeah. you can't build a foundation on the fact that, that he was well liked. We yeah. need to we need to do it on what we get from what he gave us.
1: Sure. Well Rosalind and uh, Taryn, I, I really appreciated your your candid feedback um on the series so far. Uh, I think I've learned a lot. I'm listening to this a couple times to make sure that uh, I, I remember a couple things as I as I proceed. But what I'd love to hear from both of you, and I'll start with Rosalind and then end with Taryn. Um, you know, I am going to now move to uh, some of the, the tougher issues in the history of the LDS Church with feminism, and specifically, we're going to we're going to touch on the um, the whole ERA. Uh, experience in the church in the 1970s, as recounted by uh, Martha Bradley, um, and then we're gonna we're gonna hit hard the 1980s, something that I call the train wreck of you know LDS feminism, where where you know the culminated in the the September 6 excommunications and, and that whole deal, and then we're gonna move on to, to to sort of you know modern Mormon women and how they're feeling. Today about the church and, and their experience with the church, but but Rosalind, I'll start with you, and then and then Taryn, if if you were to sort of help give me some feedback or guidance on on what you'd like to hear uh, as this series progresses, you know what type of alternative viewpoints or what types of people you would like to hear interviewed or issues covered. Do you either have any uh, opinions on what you would want to make sure gets included?
3: John, I can uh, I can give you um. A little bit of my my personal feelings on how I I hope your approach um goes I I you know I think these are difficult and painful issues I have no desire to sweep them under the carpet or or um, or hide them um, and I I think you know some good can be done by um, talking about and and disseminating this information um, I think it's really tempting when we look back at um, at, at history, and once again this seems to be an obsession with me tonight, the the uses and the ways that we make history, it's very tempting to sort of um, fall back on a kind of totalizing narrative of silence, invisibility, and oppression, right? And, and, and I noticed um, just to bring it back to, to the beginning, bring it full circle, um, in your introduction you, you, you gave us that delightful little quiz, it was a lot of fun, um, but, but it seemed to me that um, You were pulling together um, and rightly pointing out um, a lot of uh, really central issues uh, to women's experience in the church, but issues that each had a very distinct kind of origin and ideology um, and context. And so I would encourage you as uh, you go forward and and, um, explore these issues to do your best to get down to the local and get down to the specific context rather than falling back on a kind of larger narrative of some sort of monolithic or um, sort of totalized you know oppression of, of women, I, I think you know some of the issues that you mentioned probably um, are are secondary issues stemming from the fact that we have a gendered priesthood, um, some of them probably have more to do with the um, specifics of remote historical cultures when we're talking about the Book of Mormon for example some of them have to do with the way that we um, that we do historiography in the in our sort of heroic historiography which tends to exclude women um, because of the way that they live their lives so I think um, many of these problems have distinct and different ways of understanding them best and I would encourage you to, to get down to those and um, individual best ways of understanding the episodes that you discuss I, I think in some ways this um, relates to what what Claudia was um, urging us to do which is to go back to the specific um, go back to the to the local um, and to the individual um, and, and and you know and work from there um, I'm excited to see what you have in store for us. I also, you know, um, have a continuing interest in what we do with these stories. Your your podcast is entitled Mormon Stories, and um, this kind of confessional approach to building a community um, has a lot going for it, and I think it can do a lot of good. I think it has some limitations as well, though. In some ways, I think that personal stories um, can be atomizing. They can be polarizing. Um, and, and it, sometimes it's difficult to kind of share, um, to reach the same conclusions and, and, and to um, and to all end up on the same page. Um, so I would be interested um, in you doing a little bit of kind of self-critical examination of, of what stories can do and what they do well and what they can't do, what their limitations are. Um, I, I, for one, would find that these are questions that I don't have answers to. I'm looking for myself, and I would be very interested in um, sort of some larger critical issues um, like that as you go forward.
1: And that's good. That's good. That's that's part of why I had you guys on to help educate me to the extent that that you're able. But I, I'll take that uh, suggestion. I'll take that feedback, and I'll do my best to internalize it and respond to it. So thank you, Rosalyn.
3: <laughs> you are welcome, John.
1: <laughs> All right, Taryn, give me some thoughts.
3: On, on the future directions of the
1: series. Yeah, what do you want to make sure gets covered, or or how or how it's treated? Uh, the, you know, the tone, the tenor, the the potential interview interviewees. Anything you want to say as for aspirations for how this series uh, continues and concludes.
2: Well, I, I you know, I think that some of the things Rosalind were talking uh, about. Rosalind was talking about were things I was interested in. In particular, she, she mentioned that some of the stuff that is discussed in a series, some of the issues that we talk about when we talk about women and Mormonism, are things that are byproducts of a gendered priesthood. And here's the thing about that. One thing I'd be really interested in hearing about on Mormon Stories is how we came up with the gendered priesthood, what the history of it is, uh, how it developed, because it has, it has developed. It, it didn't bring you know fully formed out of out of uh, out of joseph's revelations in eighteen thirty it's something that we're constantly revising and the duties of the priesthood and the duties of women who are not part of the priesthood are always changing in our church i think that i think that that would be a really interesting thing to talk about i i think also that for all that Rosalind is right that context is very important local things you know, the local the local story is very important. And also that personal stories can be can be divisive, can be um, can make the picture less clear rather than more clear. I, I really don't think that that's a concern with the format that you've been using in Mormon stories for the past, you know, sixty episodes. I I um, I think that you've really developed a a good thing with the with the way that you try to read through individual stories and use them to build a larger a larger story for us. So I really like what you've done and hope that you pursue it with that stuff. I think that aside from the gender priesthood, it would be really interesting to look at the history of women's charismatic gifts in the church because that's something that a lot of people know a little bit about and frankly it's a lot of fun because it's 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 both inspiring and Really foreign, <laughs> and well, we're not. You know, we're not currently a charismatic church, which is something I'm comfortable with. I'm not really into that. I, I think that the stories that you can find about the way the way prayer meetings and blessing meetings worked in the early early society are a lot of fun, and they give us a very different understanding of what people thought of as as official and unofficial as direct from God and something that came through the mediation of the church. And I'd like to see that not only for discussion of women's issues in the church, but for discussion of what the future holds for us as, as a whole community of worshipers. Uh, I think also that I would like to hear a few men talking about about the history of women in the church and it, perhaps the way that... Uh, the way that a growing awareness of that history has influenced them. I I know that there are a few male historians who have done quite a lot of interesting work on the history of women in the church. Uh, Mike Quinn, I don't know whether whether he'd be someone you could interview, but I have to say he's done some really interesting work. Um, It would be fun to hear about that stuff. I think that's what I'd be interested in.
1: Well, uh, well Taryn, thank you for that and Rosalind uh, as well I just I just want to let you both know uh, I am sincerely grateful that you would take some time out of your your Sabbath evening to come on the show uh, in, in many ways I really am flying blind because I admittedly I haven't done much reading um, I'm new to this whole deal and uh, I really do want and need your thoughts and feedback to make you know the rest of what I do as is, is impactful as possible. So I take your suggestions and your criticisms and your compliments and all that in, in all the spirits in which they're intended. And I just can't thank you both enough for taking the time to come on and talk about this very important issue. So thank you, Rosalind.
3: Thank you, John. It was a great pleasure. And Taryn, thank you as well. It was a great pleasure to talk with you. It was a lot
2: of fun, Rosalind. Thank you. And, John, thank you for having me on. It um, was it was
1: fun. Oh, well my pleasure. My pleasure to you both. You guys have a great evening and uh, to our listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in to Mormon Matters. You can check us out at mormonmatters.org You can also email us at uh, mormonmatters at gmail.com and um, please don't hesitate to give us your thoughts and feedback and uh, if you have any requests or ideas, we'd love to hear them. So thanks again. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again to our guests and we look forward to talking with you all again very soon. Take care. It
0: may not be on the mountain height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front, my Lord would have need of me. But if by a still, small voice he calls to pass that I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine I'll go where you want me to go I'll go where you want me to go Dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea I'll say what you want me to say Dear Lord, I'll be what you want me to be Perhaps today Jesus would have me speak There may be now in the paths of sin some wanderer whom I should see O oh, Savior if thou Jesus the crucified So trusting my all To thy tender care And knowing thou lovest me I'll do thy will With a heart sincere I'll be what you want me to be I'll go where you want me to go Dear Lord, over mountain Or plain or sea I'll say what you want me to say
1: This wonderful music has been provided by Clayton and Sky Pixton. To check out more, go to claytonpixton.com, that's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, Pixton, P-I-X-T-O-N.com, or skypixton.com, S-K-Y-E-P-I-X-T-O-N.com, or check us out on the mormonmatters.org website to get the links. Thanks again.